This is Sunday night worship service here at the Pine Level Pentecostal Witness Church with part 15 of What We Believe with our senior pastor, Farrell Hardison, bringing the message tonight. He'll also be talking in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Here's Pastor Farrell. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. I'm going to ask how you are. I want all y'all to say fine because people are listening, you know. How y'all doing? See, fine, fine. We're glad to have all our YouTube watchers and Facebook watchers. We're glad to have you watching if you are. And um, good thing about those uh, technologies is you can look at it whenever you want to. Like late at night when you can't go to sleep, just turn that thing on, get me preaching, put you right out. Put you right out. When I had that test done the other day, the girl that was in there to put me to sleep, and not nearly long enough. I want to tell you, I told her it just wasn't nearly long enough. But I told her when she came in that me and her were in the same business. She said, really? You do what I do? I said, yes. She said, what? I said, I put people to sleep. I just do it on Sunday and you do it during the week. <laughs> oh, thank y'all for being here tonight. I uh, appreciate it so much. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer and... Um, we have a lot of requests, a lot of people in need of a touch from the Lord. Uh, I was thinking about Miss Janie. I wasn't in here. I don't believe when Brother Mac was going through the prayer request. I'm sure these have been mentioned. But Miss Janie is home from the hospital. And uh, we thank the Lord for that. Danny, praying for you, buddy. I know you're making some good progress, but still want you to uh, continue to do that. Good to see Larry this morning. Been through so much with that uh, carpal tunnel surgery. I hadn't ever in, in my ministry or my own self seen somebody go through what he went through with that and is still really going through it. Uh, so let's pray for uh, Larry, Miss Mary McDaniel. Of course, you know we're praying for her and Brother Buddy. And uh, Brother Norman, praying for him and uh, Miss Josephine and, and that whole family still there at uh, Kitty Askins Hospice Care in Goldsboro. Uh, Brother Jerry, Miss Francis, we see you back there. Good to see you. Praying for you uh, to be strengthened and healed completely. Uh, Brother Thomas, we got you in our prayers. You know that. And uh, Brother Ray Holloman and uh, Jeff Newcomb, Miss Carol Rogers. A lot of requests. I'm sure I've left somebody out. Um, matter of fact, I know I have. I'm I know there's a name I meant to mention tonight, and I, and I didn't write it down. You better write it down. Any other requests that uh, y'all want to give tonight as, as you're thinking about it uh, before we pray? Any other requests? Yes, sir. Yes. Yes. Oh, my goodness. She really needs our prayers. Really needs our prayers. Diane Woodard. Woodruff. Woodruff. See, Matt, I can't hear you. <clears throat> Um, so we're praying for her, very, very serious 
situation. Oh, I know who I was thinking about is Shirley Edwards, who sings with Canaan Land. Uh, Shirley, um, she fell down, but I wonder if something didn't happen with her hip that caused her to fall down. I'm not sure that she had surgery. I texted Sandy a while ago, but I didn't hear back from her before this service. But Shirley and Sandy come to our services quite a bit if they're not singing uh, they come here a lot, and uh, we want to pray for them. They were here, I know you all remember, a few weeks ago singing for us on Sunday night. So let's keep praying for Shirley. Anybody else got somebody on your heart and mind? Okay. Okay. Don Ellis. Okay. And then a friend of mine, that reminds me of a friend of mine, Reverend Wayne Ellis. Um, uh, we want to continue to pray for uh, Brother Wayne. Y'all remember Bill Ellis, who was the missions director in the Pentecostal Free Will Baptist. Uh, Wayne is his son. And uh, Wayne has been a pastor for years and uh, has had to give up the pastoral ministry. And uh, we want to continue to pray for him and his family. Going through a whole lot. Okay? Everybody ready? Let's talk to the Lord. Lord, we want to begin tonight by just thanking you and praising you and magnifying you for all you've done. You know, Lord, if you didn't do another thing for us, you've done more than we could ever praise you for. You've done more than we can even remember. And then you've done things for us and blessed us in ways we don't even realize you've blessed us. So there's no way in the world we can ever give you what you deserve when we're worshiping and when we're praising and, and when we're being thankful. But Lord, before we ask you for anything, we just want to say hallelujah to your name Praise be to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There's none like you, Lord. That little song we sing, I love, there's no God like you, no God like Jehovah. And Lord, we gather here at Pine Level Pentecostal Holiness Church because we love you, Lord. We love you and we know you love us. And uh, we don't gather just to see one another and I enjoy that part of it. But Lord, we gather to worship. We gather to learn. We gather to grow. And uh, we pray for our teenagers tonight as they are having their gathering over there in the fellowship hall that you will just uh, cause them to have a wonderful, wonderful time. And I believe Samuel Evans is giving the lesson tonight speaking. Lord, touch Samuel. I really believe you've got a special call on that young man's life. I believe there are great things you want to do through him. And this uh, that, that's going on tonight might be a further sign of what you've got planned for his life. And so, Lord, we ask you to bless him and, and bless the kids, bless the teenagers, bless Pastor Brian as he is away with his family. He'll be back with us on Wednesday. But, God, we just ask you to uh, be with us here tonight in this service. We uh, need your presence. We need your your. Um, uh, help in learning and comprehending and absorbing like a sponge the truth of your word. And Father, we lift up all these names to you tonight, all these names we've called and, and people we've mentioned who are suffering, Lord, and going through so much. 
And God, we just uh, ask you to heal them. We ask you to strengthen. We ask you to give guidance and direction. And you know, Lord, we didn't even mention the broken homes, uh, the the people who are addicted, the people, Lord, who um, are are their marriages in trouble. There, there's so much of that going on. And I spend quite a bit of my time trying to help people who are having marital problems and and with their parenting issues, and I need wisdom, Lord. I need you to help me to know what to say when I have those wonderful opportunities to have influence in their life. But there are so many needs, cancer, Lord, and and just um, problems with the back, God. And I just know so many people who suffer with their back that causes uh, suffering in other parts of their body. And Lord, we just bring all of this before you. People that battle emotionally with depression, Lord. And and we battle with our faith sometimes and how much faith we have. And and if we're trusting the Lord the way we ought to, Lord, we just need you. We're just desperate for you, Lord. Without you, we're nothing. Without you, we can accomplish nothing. We can do nothing. But with you, Lord, all things are possible So God, help us tonight as we uh, delve into your word. I pray, God, that you will anoint me to speak, that I'll say this in a way that will be consumable, that the people will absorb it, be able to grow by it. I pray I'll grow, Lord, not only while I'm studying, but even while I'm teaching, that I will grow in my faith and my knowledge of your word. Uh, Lord, I, I just need you so much. I can't do without you. And I know there are many, many times when I try to go on and do without you and I just make a big mess of it. And so, Lord, I'm just asking you to check my spirit. When I begin to go off on my own, you just check my spirit, Lord, and call me back that I might put that situation in your hands and let you be in control. Not me in control. Not me. But, Lord, you in control. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so there's a lot of announcements in your bulletin. Uh, the biggest one that relates to us, I believe, would be this Tuesday night. Uh, those of you who attend the leadership meeting, Brother Mac described who those folks are. And you've been doing that long enough. Uh, you know who they are, but that'll be on, when, uh, I'm sorry, Tuesday night. Is that right? 7 o'clock Tuesday night. So uh, all of you be here. And uh, we look forward to seeing you at that gathering. Okay? All right. We're talking about the doctrine of salvation. The doctrine of salvation. If you, if you went around the room tonight and we said, what is the purpose of Pine Level Church? What is the purpose of the church? Well, we'd probably get a lot of different answers and probably none of them would be completely wrong. Uh, But what Jesus said the local church was for, what he said was that we would make disciples, that we would make disciples. Well, the first step in making a disciple, and let me just talk to you for a minute about the word disciple. Disciple means a learner, a learner, somebody who follows another to learn of him, to become like the one they're following when you're a disciple. We're disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus told us as his disciples that our number one job is making disciples. 
So that's why we have all the classes that we have. We have all the opportunities for people to, to learn. We have the new believers class or, the, or, or people maybe that uh, kind of have been out of the loop for a while and are getting back in church and they just need to get in a class where they can catch back up on some things. And we've got that. We have that, had that class today, this afternoon, about 4.30 and then we have uh, Brother Mac's class on Wednesday night. We have classes on uh, Sunday morning for our kids, classes on Sunday night, classes on Wednesday night, because we're making disciples. We're making disciples. Now, the Bible says that the best way to make disciples, as, as much as the classroom is a wonderful thing, and what I'm doing is good, and this is what we're supposed to do, really... Uh, one-on-one relationship with somebody and you're helping them grow and they're helping you you grow. I think uh, probably the closest thing to that is what we used to call prayer partners, that we'd have a prayer partner. Uh, The best best disciple-making strategy any church can have, I believe, is to have trained, mature believers in that body of Christ who, when somebody gets saved, we can attach them to one of the mature Christians who have their roots down deep. We can attach them to that person and say, here's so-and-so, and and they'll help you and want to meet with you and and pray with you. And, And I've had that where I've pastored before, and I've actually done it here in this church. It's not a... It's not a formal ministry that we have, but we've had some people who've gotten saved, and I've connected them with people I know in our body here who are mature believers, and they get together, and they grow together. You know, when you're teaching somebody, you're going to grow too. And if that's a new believer that you're helping, well, of course they're going to grow because they got so much growing to do, but that that teacher, that mentor... Uh, is going to grow as well. So so we kind of have that going on here as well. If that's something you'd be interested in helping me with, uh, we would love to hear from you. If you say, Pastor, I wouldn't mind meeting with a, a new believer. And sometimes uh, we've had new believers that got saved right here in our altar, and that's wonderful. But you know what? The Bible doesn't teach us that salvations are to happen in the local church. The Bible says that salvations are to happen as we go from here into the world and we converse with people and talk with people, our family and our friends, that really salvations, I love it when they happen here at the church and I wish they'd happen every Sunday, don't y'all? But, but I want you to know that what God had in mind even more than that was that as you go into the world, preach the gospel to every creature. You know, the, the scripture Jesus uh, that we quote that Jesus said was, go ye into all the world. But when you look at that word, go ye, it means as you live your life in the community, as you go to the mailbox, I mean the uh, post office, as you go, well, that's where some of y'all go, the mailbox, isn't it? but as you go to the grocery store, as you go to work, as you go to a family reunion, wherever you are, Be ready to share Jesus. Be ready to give you testimony. And I've talked to you all about this, and I think you you got it, and, and you've been telling me some stories that make me know that you're doing it. And that is always have your testimony ready. 
always have your testimony. You know, it's hard when you're trying to uh, lead someone to surrender their life to Jesus. It's hard to just look at them and go, you know, you're lost, and and if you stay like you are, you're going to end up in hell. You're not going to make it to heaven. You really, if you talk to people that abruptly, they're probably going to tune you out and turn you off. But if you'll say, well, let me share with you what the Lord did for me. And, and y'all know I've taught this before. But, but work on your testimony. Work on it. What it was before Christ, how I came to Christ, and what it's been like since I came to Christ. That's your story. Just those three things. And you just tell people, you just say, here's... Here's what my situation was. And, and maybe you've got a big testimony and you, you came out of something terrible, you know, and God. But maybe your testimony is, is just that you grew up in the church and, and uh, your mom and dad led you or somebody led you to the Lord early in your life and you've been serving the Lord for a long time. I've got to tell you all something. I think that's a big testimony. In this world we live in, to say you've been saved since you were a child, I think that's a big testimony. But you know, sometimes we'll have people come in, you know, and they we'll we'll bring in some great speaker who gives his testimony of how terrible his life was, and I, and that's fine. I love that. It shows you the Lord can save anybody who's willing to be saved. But I think um, you know, like we've been preaching on Sunday morning, just ordinary people who got saved early in their life and have stood faithful to the Lord. That's a big testimony too, isn't it? And so be ready to share your testimony and know some scriptures, have some scriptures. Uh, the Roman road to salvation, that's only two or three, four or five scriptures. And just know those and share those. Be ready to witness because what we want more than anything in the world is for people to be saved. If you're not saved, you're not going to heaven. If you're not saved, you are going to hell eventually if you're not saved. So there's not a more important thing that we do as the church, not this church in particular, but the worldwide church, the worldwide body of Christ. There's not anything more important that we do than lead somebody into salvation. And uh, it is the most enjoyable, rewarding thing I've ever done in my life. And I've prayed for sick people when they got healed, and I've prayed for people when they got sanctified and filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's wonderful, and re we rejoice. But I tell you, there's no sense, there's no feeling, there's no, uh, I don't know how to describe it, there's no emotion uh, like the feeling you have when somebody comes to Jesus and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, that's our responsibility, is to pass that word along and pass that truth along. So uh, reading here in the book, and if you've got your book, I'm going to be on page 104 to begin with uh, tonight. And we're just going to talk about um, some basic Bible doctrines that you need to be aware of. And trust me when I tell you, if you talk about the Bible to people, you're going to run into some unbelievers that know a lot about the Bible. Trust me, I've been a pastor for almost 50 years, and I have run into people who were not saved, but had studied their Bible and read their Bible, which tells you that you can know the Bible and not know the Lord of the Bible. Amen. 
and uh, I've run into them, and they try to hang you up, and you know, they show you one place in the Bible says this, and then it looks like over in another place it says something different. And they're trying to they're trying to create a loophole for themselves, I guess, is what they're doing. But you need to be ready. And listen, when you're talking to somebody who's not a believer, and they kind of want to debate or have a little argument or or point out things maybe you weren't ready to talk about, don't you be afraid to look them dead in the eye and say, I just don't know. I just don't know the answer to that one. I'll try to find the answer for you, but I just don't know. You don't have to try to stay up with them. Uh, a lot of times what they've done is they've memorized four or five little things they won't ask you about, and it's the same thing to ask every other Christian they run into, and they're trying to catch you up. They're trying to trying to make you uh, stutter and stammer, and, and I've been in that situation. You may have been in it yourself, but don't ever be afraid to recognize what's going on and look at that person and say, you know what, I don't, I don't really know uh, how to answer that any deeper. But if you would like a deeper answer, I can get that for you at some point. And uh, then you call me and I'll call somebody. <laughs> but, but we'll get them an answer. We'll, we'll get them an answer. There's not an answer we won't answer. That we, there's not a question we won't answer. Now the answer might be, uh, I don't know, or the Bible doesn't really say about a particular thing. But just be ready, just be ready. And that's why we teach this class uh, tonight about these things. So, so the thing I want to mention tonight is uh, the fact that we're made in the image of God. And I've talked about this some since I've been your pastor. But let's just read here at the bottom of page 104, if you've got your book with you. He says, the record of the initial chapters in Genesis record or reveals that from creation, Adam bears the image and likeness of God, Genesis 1, 26. This crowning achievement of creation separates human beings, and y'all have heard me say this before too, from all other creatures. We're, the, we're God's greatest creation. If you got a little one of them little mirrors, get it out and look in it and say, you're God's greatest creation. You just say that in that little mirror right now. Because you are. We're, human beings are different than all other creatures. As, a, as the sun outshines a light bulb, I like this illustration, or as Niagara Falls is greater than a water, a, a mud puddle of all creation, God endowed only human beings with the ability to communicate with their creator. No other animal can do that. And, and I know because y'all got it on Facebook. Y'all love your dogs and your cats. And me and Millie got three cats too. And I'll be glad when they're raptured. But we, we, love, we love our little pets too. But they can't commune with God. They don't know who God is. Uh, animals can't be saved. Animals don't have a soul. And I preached this one time. I hope y'all don't get mad at me. I had a lady left my church because I preached that. Animals aren't human beings, y'all. And I know we love them and they're precious to us and all of that, but only human beings have a soul. Only human beings live on after the body dies. Only humans live on after the body dies. And... Uh, Somebody put on um, Facebook the other day something about uh, some of you are going to live forever. You know, if you're saved, you're going to live forever. And I come under there and I said, you're going to live forever whether you're saved or not. 
That's where you're going to live. That's, that's the thing. But everybody's going to live on after this body's gone. This body is very, very temporary. When I was 22 years old, I thought this thing was permanent. But, buddy, I'm telling you, I've learned at age 66 that it is temporary. It's temporary, this old body. And, uh, but we will live on. Everybody in this room, everybody who's here this morning, uh, if I don't know who's be, who would be watching, whoever's watching now, you're going to live forever. You're going to live forever somewhere. And where you live forever is up to you. It's up to you to say, well, no, not really. It's up to God. No, God's already made up his mind. He's already made up his mind. He wants you to go to heaven. And he's told you what you have to do to go to heaven. But uh, we're going to live uh, forever. Pentecostals worldwide join in the preponderance of evangelicals in believing in the biblical creation accounts in Genesis and all of, and all of Scripture. Now, this next section we're going to deal with, I wish our teenagers were in here for this, because they get challenged on this all the time. They get challenged on this at school because, see, we believe, according to the Scripture, that the earth is somewhere between six and 10,000 years old. Well, your children are taught in the public schools that, that the earth is millions of years old, that that. Uh, when they studied the rocks and the rock formations and they studied the layers and they studied the fossils and all of that, uh, that there's no way in the world that the earth is just six to 10,000 years old. So I want you to know that your grandchildren are taught that by the public schools. Listen, I was taught that by the public schools. I mean, I mean uh, I'm a very young man, y'all know that, but I, I was taught that when I went to school, that the earth is millions of years old fact of the matter is it's not it's not that old and the earth uh the bible bears that out but he addresses that here and i really didn't expect him to address it here but he does so i want us to talk about it and i want us to read that section we're on page 105 and uh it's the there are three paragraphs right in the middle of the page and i want to read those three paragraphs and then I want you to absorb them, and then I want you to be ready to talk to your teenagers, and not just them, but the little kids. How many of y'all remember in school the weekly reader? You remember that, weekly reader? That, that stuff was in there. First time I heard anything about pollution, first, and, and we, need to, we need to be careful about pollution, but what we've seen happen in our day is we've seen pollution grow into this huge political thing uh, global warming and all that business and and all that is and and uh, Facebook might take us off for me saying this but it's uh, it's an effort to control you uh, it's an effort to control you I, I don't know about y'all but the summer feels about like it did when I was cropping the back <laughs> and the, the winter time feels about like it did when I was a kid at winter time I it may have warmed up a little bit but you know we can look back in the record and we can see when it's been, it's been hotter and when it's been colder. And, and I know they come on now. And uh, Have you noticed the weather people now tell you what it feels like? It might be 95, but it feels like 115. I mean, just tell me what the temperature is. I'll tell you what it feels like. It may feel like 115, but let me decide that. You know, I think there's just a lot of effort there to really try to get in our head and, and use that politically. But 
But he talks here about the earth being 6,000 years old. Let's read this together. And uh, the reason I'm going to read it is because he can say it better than I can. So page 105, Christians are frequently, see that? Christians are frequently on the defensive trying to explain how the biblical log, the time log of the Bible, notes a human history of about 6,000 years compared to the scientific log or data asserting that the earth uh, is millions of years old. He says, within the creation narrative, there is a plausible explanation to reconcile the alleged discrepancy. The scriptural evidence, listen to this, this is it right here. The scriptural evidence suggests that God made a new world old. He made a new world, but he made it old. So that's why the fossils are there. That's why the layers are there. That's why the rock formations are like they are. Because God made a new world and he made it old. Now let me go on with that. Let him go on with it. That is, he created the earth and all of its features as if they had already been in existence for tens of thousands of years. So in other words, when he made the earth and got it ready for Adam and Eve, he made the earth in a way that it would, it would look like it would look if it were tens of thousands of years old. For example, the ages of rocks would appear to be much older than they really are. The basis for this understanding finds a parallel in the creation of Adam. This last paragraph is so good God did not have to plant a seed and wait for many years until trees were fully grown did he do you think when Adam was created there were a bunch of little oak sprigs coming out of the ground or you think they were full grown oak trees so see God can take something new and make it like it's been here make it like it's old hope I'm making sense if I'm not it's brother Trammell's fault hope he ain't watching on the contrary, he made the trees already in full bloom and blossom, nor did he make Adam as a tiny baby. He didn't make Adam as a tiny baby, did he? And wait many years until he grew to manhood. Rather, the Lord created the masterpiece called man already fully grown, beautiful, intelligent, and capable of having dominion over the planet he lived on. So that helped me. I remember studying that in school. But, um, you know, when you're in Bible college, you study a lot of things that you really don't look at very much other than when you were in Bible college. And when I went through this, I thought, yes, I remember that. I remember uh, Brother Marshall Stewart teaching us that. And uh, I remember that one of our books was titled How to Date a Rock. And I remember telling the boys um, in the classroom that I knew how to date a girl, but I did not know how to date a rock. That joke went over with y'all about like it did with them when I told them, too. But um, but let me see where I'm at here. Uh, 106, 105, okay. So the, uh, down at the bottom of 105, the fall of humanity, and that's why we've got to get people saved, because they fell. 
Man fell in the Garden of Eden. We've got to get people saved. That's our job. That's what we were filled with the Holy Ghost for. We were filled with the Holy Ghost that we might have power to witness. That we might have power to influence lost people to be saved. So let me give you just a little bit more and then I'm not going to keep you here long. Not much longer. The fall of humanity. The actual account down at the bottom of 105. The actual account of the tragic transgression of the first couple, Adam and Eve, is well known from Genesis, uh, in Genesis uh, 3, 1 through 7. And I looked that up and had it on my phone ready to read it for you. And when I got out of my truck a while ago, I asked myself, did I need my phone? And I said, no, I don't need that. So let's go to Genesis chapter 3 and let's read verses 1 through 7. Is it up on the screen? Good, I'll read it off there. Because I don't know who this Bible was made for, but it weren't me and Mac. I can tell you that right now. All right. So now let's look at it. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Eve, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Wait just a minute. Let me pause right there because I didn't say that right. Back that up. Yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So Satan's already trying to confuse Eve. He says, didn't God say you couldn't eat any of the fruit in the garden? Isn't that what God said? And, and Eve, thank the Lord, had enough sense to correct him. Go to the next verse. And the next verse says, and the woman said unto the serpent, no, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, verse 3, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, in the middle of the garden, there was one tree, y'all know this story from Sunday school when you were a child, which is the, in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of that one tree. You can eat of all the other trees. But God said, that one tree I don't want you to eat out of. Neither shall you touch it. Stay away from it lest you die. Verse 4, and the serpent said unto the woman, Oh, you're not going to die. You shall not surely die. So what is, what is the devil saying? God lied to you. God lied to you. God ever lied to anybody here? Never. Never. But look what Satan does. And we're just in the first seven verses of the Bible, of the chapter 3 rather. For God doth know, and Satan's still talking, Here's what God knows. Here's why God don't want you to eat it. He knows that the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open and you shall be as gods. In other words, you'll be like God. You'll know things God don't want you to know. So the only reason he's telling you not to dare eat of that tree is because you'll be like him and he wants to be the only one who's like him. Can y'all see what's going on here? Verse, uh, uh, knowing good and evil, verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, in other words, it was attractive to her eye. That's what tempts us. What, what did uh, we read about? Remember when we did the series on temptation? The lust of the eye, the lust of the, uh, the, lust of the flesh, the um, lust of the eye and pride of life. Yes. Uh, and when the woman saw that the tree was good, good for food she saw it and it was pleasant to the eyes 
That's where temptation comes from, seeing, seeing it. And if a tree, uh, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, in other words, she said, hey, this looks pretty good as food. It's also going to make me be like God. The Bible says she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. Gave uh, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And then the final verse says, And the eyes of them both were open. Yeah, it was open, all right, but not in the way the devil said. And they realized that they were naked. They realized that that they were they were in sin at this point. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And so the enemy, the enemy lied to um, Eve, and as you know, she gave in. The Bible says, "What began as, as, um, where am I at here? I keep turning this piece of paper over, and I shouldn't." So it says, uh, "What began as um, the tempter causing Eve to question the word of God, climaxed with the disobedience, guilt, and attempted cover up." of the sinful pair. Double punishment waited on the offenders. Double punishment. So here's what happens because of the sin of Adam and Eve. Here's what happened. The first consequences they faced because they disobeyed God, he's listed it right here. First, there were the immediate consequences. The immediate consequences because, see, look, y'all, they were right with God. God made Adam and Eve right with him. They didn't have to be saved. God created them saved. And the Bible says they commune with the Lord and, and they would walk in the uh, uh, cool of the day and converse with God. Uh, God and man were just, just flowed back and forth. And now they've let sin in and this is what sin does. This is what sin causes. There was first of all the immediate price paid and these included, number one, a sense of guilt and fear. That was one thing they faced, and you see that in the Scripture. The entrance of sorrow and suffering. They had no sorrow, no suffering until they sinned. Think about it. There was no sorrow, no suffering because they, uh, before they sinned. And then the third thing was banishment from the presence of God. I mean, that happened immediately. When Adam and Eve sinned, let's go through them again. Number one, guilt and fear entered in. It hadn't been there before. Sorrow and suffering. And then banishment from the presence of God. And then uh, number four under there, uh, eventual physical death. In other words, Adam and Eve would have never died physically. There would never be any Maybelline if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned. Because the minute Adam and Eve sinned, they began to age. They began to age. And Adam had a big old full head of hair and then it looked like mine. You know, down the road a little bit. Because, because the sin took over and now they were going to die. They had not only died spiritually, but they had died physically. Now I want you to think about this thing, suffering. Suffering started. Do you know what the Bible says in this same Genesis chapter 3? The Bible says that the, one of the first things mentioned when man sinned was that on the rose bushes and on the other bushes, thorns. That's the first thing mentioned, thorns. 
See, there weren't even any thorns on the rose bushes or the blueberry bushes. Wasn't even any, uh, not blueberry, but uh, raspberry bushes. What do we call them? What do we call those? Blackberries, that's right. Now, they got thorns on them, don't they? <laughs> and uh, they, they didn't have any, but sin caused suffering. And I imagine the first time Adam and Eve pricked their finger on a, on a briar when they had gone all that time before the fall and not, not felt it, they felt it, they thought it's because of our sin. And isn't it also interesting that when they hung Jesus on the cross, they put a crown of thorns on his head because he bore our sin. He bore our sin. And that crown of thorns is just a symbol. Now, it hurt him. I mean, the description of what he probably went through with that crown of thorns is almost unbearable to hear and even picture. But they drove that to suffering, the pain that is caused by that. Just to say to us, sin brings pain. Sin brings suffering. Why do we preach against sin in the church? Is it because we think we're better than everybody else? No, no, it's not. Is it because we, we uh, love to really get on people for what they don't do just right? No, because we know they're going to suffer. We know we're trying to prevent suffering. So we talk about sin in this church and we preach about sin in this church because we don't want people to suffer. Have I suffered because of my sins? Absolutely. Absolutely. I know what it is to suffer from sin. You do too. Y'all look holy, but you do. I know you do. We all do. And so he's saying it right here. Physical death. Banishment from the presence of God. I can't think of much worse than that. Guilt, fear, suffering. The second consequence is extended beyond Adam and Eve. Here we go. This is us now. This is us. Now that first one involves us, but I'm, I'm saying immediately that happened with Adam and Eve. Right then. But then there's beyond Adam and Eve what this sin caused. And that's why we want to just walk through this for just a minute. The second consequence is extended beyond Adam and Eve was to all their ancestors. That's what we'll, we'll put there. Their offspring, their progeny, their family, their family tree. The effect of the transmission of the original sin from Adam and Eve to every subsequent human except Christ is an attested faith in Scripture as a noticeable observation in history. And I know that sounds uh, very, very um, uh, studious and, and very intellectual, but it's, it's not hard to understand. Look what he says next. All humanity has followed Adam in committing personal sins. Now, I want you to look at a point he makes right here because it needs to be made, and I don't believe it's a point I've made since I've been your pastor. All humanity has followed Adam in committing personal sins. These passages should confirm the truth that God has not punished Adam's innocent descendants because of his original sin. I tell you, I hear that preached sometimes, and I probably preached it when it sounded like that's what I was saying. But I want you to notice what he says here. We say that a man is born in sin. He is born with a sin nature. A man, a woman is born with a sin nature, and they immediately begin to sin. 
to accumulate their own sins. These passages again, I've read that. No human being receives condemnation because of Adam's sin. Now, I did inherit Adam's nature to sin, but my sins are my sins. Does that make sense? My sins are my sins. And I've accumulated my own sins. So it is not only the first man who experienced divine judgment, um, but all transgressors in every age await a similar fate. Perhaps the most widely agreed upon doctrine in all of Christianity is the teaching of original sin and the passing on of the sin nature, not the sins of Adam, but the sin nature from Adam to everyone in the human race. And then there are scriptures there, and I would encourage you to look those up. Some of them he's actually written out for you there, and I, I would encourage you to, to look those up. So, so um, God is our Savior we're, we're not a savior. Our church can't save anybody. I can't save anybody. But I can lead you to the savior. I can lead you to him. And that's our job. That's what we do. Uh, matter of fact, one of the things that wins people over to our message is that we talk about, again, I've already said this, but we talk about our salvation. We talk about how uh, we lived a part of our life without him. And then he found us. You know, we didn't find him. Y'all do know that, don't you? We didn't find him because we weren't looking for him. We weren't looking for him. There's nothing in a human being that makes them desire God. Now, a human being can go through some hard times and they'll reach out to try to find some help, but they might find it in New Age or they might find it in some false religion. It's not God they're after. It's God they need, but it's not God they're after. They're just looking to alleviate those things I just listed that comes because of sin. They want to alleviate guilt and shame. They want to alleviate that. They want to alleviate suffering and pain. They want to alleviate all of the things I've mentioned to you. So they're reaching out for anything. And boy, they're, they're pretty much grabbing on to any and everything. It's our job to say, we've got it. We got what you're looking for. We've got it. We want you to know about it. So we've got to wear our relationship with God on our sleeve. You ever heard somebody say, I don't go around wearing my religion on my sleeve now. Well, you ought to. Not your religion, but your salvation. You ought to go around wearing your salvation on your sleeve. And uh, when there's a discussion going on and somebody's talking real bold, uh, don't be afraid to step in and say, I know, man, but I tell you, since I've come to the Lord, <laughs> well, you say, well, they might lie, not listen to me. They don't walk out of the room. That's all right. That's all right. Don't be afraid to speak up. Don't be afraid to speak up for the Lord. Don't be afraid to speak up for what he's done for you. You're going to get criticized. You're going to get mocked. You're going to get talked about. Matter of fact, I'm going to tell you the truth. I think it would be worse to stand before the Lord and not be criticized, have, it, have not been criticized, than to stand before him and say, Lord, I've, I've caused a lot of people to, you know, I've brought, it, brought you up a lot of times and upset some people. Well, good. That's, I want to stand before the Lord knowing I was bold, not that I was a jerk, not that I was hateful, not that I was judgmental, not that I was talking to them like that, like I'm better than they are, but I'm going to talk about my God. Now, you're going to talk about your stuff, or maybe you're bragging about your liquor you drink, or you're bragging, drag, bragging about your drugs you take, or you're bragging about some exploit you had with somebody you're not married to. 
then I'm telling you, man, if I'm in that audience somehow, and somebody's, I'm going to say, well, I, I was miserable till I gave my heart to the Lord. Just bring it up. Bring it right up. And I'll guarantee you, nine times out of ten, you won't be challenged. You might be challenged by some, but most of the time, it'll get real quiet. But we've got to start. There's not a lot of time. There's not a lot of time. And we've got to start being bold, amen, about our witness. And pray for your children and pray for your grandchildren and pray for your family. And you know what? One thing that I have started doing and I'm going to do more of is I'm going to write letters. I'm going to write letters. I, I got some family that I know if I came to their house, first thing they'd be startled to death because we never have been that close, cousins and things like that. And if I were to show up at their door, they'd be startled to death. They'd think somebody died if I showed up at their house because we just see each other at reunions and things like that. But I'm going to write some letters. And I have wrote some letters. And I'm going to write some more. And I'm going to say, I just, I want you to know, I love you. I know we haven't been close, but I want you to know I love you. And I want you to know, and I'm not judging you. I'm not saying you're not saved. Now, by the evidence I see, it doesn't look like it. But I'm not, I'm not their judge. But, and I would say to them, I'm not trying to judge you, but I just want you, if you're not saved, I want you to be saved. I want to just write out for you right here all you've got to do to be saved. And if you want to talk to me, here's my number, and I'll be glad to come talk to you about it. If you've got questions, send your questions to me. Call me and ask me what your questions are. I'll try to answer them. To the best of my ability, or like I said earlier, I'll try to get you some answers. But folks, we got to get people saved. I mean, I'm I'm done preaching, but it's like that ark. The door, the door on the ark's open, but it's not going to always be open. But the door on the ark is open right now. You can walk right up the door and go right on in. And I think if we knew a flood was going to come next week and drown us all, we'd be a lot bolder in telling people about it than we are about the Lord. I, I'm saying me too. I know me too. But that's our job. Salvation. Point people to Jesus. Get them saved. Amen? Let's come to the altar and bring some thoughts with you. Bring some names with you. Bring some family names with you.